All right, so we're in a series called Why Jesus? We've been in the series for the past few weeks. Um, and basically, we're just posing this question to our city. Why Jesus? Why, why do we believe in Jesus? Why, is Jesus? why does Jesus mean anything to us? Um, why is this important for us? Why, why is Jesus, if you talk to someone who's been a Christian for, for any length of time, why would they say Jesus is everything? Um, Jesus is the lens through which I look through life. He informs all my decisions. Why would a Christian say that? So this series has been built on that question. We talked about, when walking through the book of Hebrews, we talked about uh, Jesus' humanity and his divinity and how he's fully human and he's fully man. And those things work together and that makes him our great high priest, our mediator, where he can mediate between us and God, where we don't need any other mediator. It's just Jesus. And because he's our mediator, last week we talked about atonement, that because he's our mediator, because he's fully divine, fully human, he can offer a sacrifice for us. And his blood, like Adam was talking about last week, actually cleanses us of our sin, atonement, right? This week we're going to talk about faith, because the author of Hebrews transitions to something really interesting as we walk through the book. He goes into Jesus being the author, perfecter, originator, the prime example of our faith, the finisher of our faith. Um, and then next week we'll go into how Jesus gives us victory, and he gives us a life that we can live where, where we've overcome uh, for Easter. <clears throat> so today, talking about faith. Faith is, so I'm looking out here, I don't know, some of you guys have maybe been Christians for a long amount of time, some of you guys, uh, maybe this is your first Sunday in church in a long time, um, and some of you guys, maybe you're somewhere, somewhere in between. Uh, so let's talk about faith for a second. Faith is generally heard of in like, religious contexts, um, and it's also heard of in uh, in and just culture where you say, oh, I have faith in myself, or I have faith that this is going to happen. Uh, so faith isn't just a Christian construct. Let's just put that down for a second. Faith isn't just a Christian idea, construct, but it is uniquely Christian. Okay? It's not just a Christian concept, but it is, there's something unique about it in the Christian religion, faith, framework, worldview. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, and if Jesus is the originator of our faith, if he's the prime example for faith, if he's the author, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith, then that means something for everybody and not just Christians. Okay? Um, that means something for everybody. If faith isn't just a Christian construct, that means something for everybody, not just Christians. So this morning we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about the beginning of faith. We're going to talk about the journey of faith and then the end of faith. So look out for those key words as you walk through the this, this sermon and the passage this morning. Uh, the beginning of faith, the journey of faith, and the end of faith. So like I said, in, in popular culture, faith has been misconstrued as blind or as taking a leap. It's like, oh, well, I have faith that this is going to happen. Or I, I think it's, it's almost like a doubtful uncertainty. Like, yeah, you just have to have faith that this, this is going to happen. There's songs built on it. Um, one, gotta have faith. Yeah. <laughs> is that George Michael? Yeah. Uh, 
So there's, and, and it's just like, oh, you just got to believe. You got to believe it's going to happen and good things will come, right? Um, but faith isn't like this blind step. Um, like uh, one of my first exposures to faith was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. You guys know that movie? Okay. You know what I'm talking about where he takes the leap of faith, where he, he just steps over the, the vast like expanse cliff and he just closes his eyes, puts his foot out, and just goes down, and then he hits solid ground. That's a picture of faith. That's not the Christian picture of faith, okay? That's a picture of faith where it's like, okay, I'm just, I'm just going, um, and, and that's it. That's, that's a part of it. But the Christian faith is actually different than that. It's actually stepping into the light, not stepping into the dark. It's actually something that is solid, not something that is uh, nebulous and cloudy. And so let's look at, let's look at what's, what's typically called the definition of faith in the scriptures. This is the passage that Elaine read coming out of 11 verses 1 through 3. And we see here in verse 1, he says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So he uses a really strong word there. He says that it's assurance, like we, we have confidence, we have uh, the reality of something. So it's the reality of something hoped for. It's not the hope we have in something uh, becoming reality. Does that make sense? Faith is often, oh, I hope this becomes a reality. Well, no, he's saying here, no, faith is the reality that we are hoping for, Okay. That's a, that's a subtle but significant shift. Are you guys following me? So it's, it's a reality that we, can, that we can hold on to. Faith is certain. But faith is not just certain. It's reasonable. Uh, he says here that, um, that it's the conviction of things not seen. It's the proof of things that have not yet come to pass. So when he says things not seen, typically we think about, oh, well, I can have faith in what's invisible. The spiritual world, God etc., etc. Religions, that's why we say religions are built on faith. Well, we forget that our faith isn't built on something that wasn't, that is not seen. Because God revealed himself in the person of Jesus. So he has become visible. You and I just haven't seen him. But our faith, the foundation of our faith is built on things that have been seen. This book is all about things that have been seen. All the way from the beginning to, to right now. It's all about God manifesting himself in society, in our culture, in this world. So if that's not what he's talking about, what is he talking about there? Um, it's not what's invisible, but it's what has not yet come to pass. So he's saying faith is having the assurance, the conviction, the proof of something that hasn't happened yet. Okay. So it's reasonable, it's certain, it's confirming. He says in verse 2 there that um, for by it, for by faith, we can look at the past, we can look at the people of old, he says, uh, and see that there's a record, a really good record of people living by faith. Okay, And we have that record, and we see that. So it's confirming. We can look back and see people living by faith and say, oh yeah, I can do that. Uh, but then last thing is in verse 3 uh, is its knowledge. He says by faith... We understand. So by faith, we understand something. We gain knowledge. We gain wisdom. We, we live it out. Um, and he uses the example there that the universe was created by the word of God 
so that what was that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So he uses creation as the first act of faith. So the very first act in our creation was an act of faith. And we live in a world of faith. Okay? That's what the author's trying to say here. Okay, so I know what you're saying. You're saying, well, what about trust, right? Um, we're going to sing a song later called Oceans about trusting God and like deep waters and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, Indiana Jones, he had, to, he had to trust that that, that path was going to be there. Um, we have passages in the scriptures that say, um, you know, walk by faith, not by sight, things like that. So it's like this, this kind of blind metaphor. We're just walking by what we can't see. So yeah, yeah, trust, okay? Um, isn't faith something that, uh, that we believe in, uh, something that we can't verify? Like, that's a legit question. And the answer would be yes. Yes, faith requires this, this element of trust. Remember, like, trust falls? I was going to show this, like, montage of, like, failed trust falls. <laughs> It was so funny. I was watching on YouTube this week. Uh, this is so random. But I mean, they're horrible. Like, people will hold hands out and then they'll butt heads when the guy falls. I think mean, it's pretty dangerous. But you remember Trust Falls? We, like, if you grew up in, well, if you're in corporate America, or I mean, corporate anywhere, if you're in, because uh, <laughs> if you're in, like, youth camp growing up, um, they'll do these Trust Fall things. So, um, yes, faith requires trust. Okay, like we're going to say that, uh, but that doesn't mean that it sacrifices our intellect. Okay, so faith requires trust, but it doesn't mean we sacrifice reason. It doesn't mean we sacrifice our intellect. It doesn't mean that faith isn't reasonable. It doesn't mean that faith isn't grounded on something. <clears throat> trust isn't just a, a something into the unknown. We have proof that, that faith works, Okay. Um, so, uh, in fact, let me just kind of reiterate this. In fact, the Christian faith, and this is where faith is unique in Christianity, uh, faith and reason always go together. The Christian faith is built on the cooperation between faith and reason, okay? Um, so although we can't completely verify things sometimes, um, we have sufficient grounds and reason to have confidence in it to have assurance in it, okay? Now, you may be one of these people. Um, there's always these people. Uh, there's even these people in the scriptures that say, if I don't have 100% verifiable, uh, you know, analytical uh, proof that God exists, I will not believe in God. Anyone know those people? Anyone used to be one of those people? Um, anyone's one of those people now? You're not to raise your hand. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, say 100%, I need 100% analytical, verifiable proof that God exists before I believe in God. Um, and what you don't realize is you're putting yourself in a box. Like you don't live that way for anything. Nothing. There's no way you could live that way. There may be instances here or here where you need that, and, and that's cool. Um, like, is that chair going to hold me up? Um, but other than that, you don't, you don't live that way normally. Um, let me give you a couple examples. So uh, Father Robert Barron, he's a Catholic minister. Um, 
he's he's basically the Catholic uh, evangelist on YouTube. So if you haven't heard of this guy, he's followed by like millions of people around the world. Um, he's very, very intelligent. So he gives a couple of these examples. He says, well, you're putting yourself in a box. Um, think of it this way. Uh, just think about relationships, okay? So Missy here, my wife of 10 years. I almost said 12, but it's been 10, right? Um, it's been a long 10 years. <laughs> The wife of 10 years, uh, I met her February 15th, 2002 at 2.30 p.m. when I walked into a university classroom, saw her sitting there, and I saw her for the first time in my life, went up to her, talked to her, and she said, will you marry me? Something like that. But I went up to her and talked to her, but I hadn't seen her ever before, okay? So for all I knew, she just appeared at that very moment because I had no proof that she existed before then. I assumed she did. I assumed she did. She'd already been alive for 20 years. Um, but I had no proof of that yet. Okay, and then we got to know each other. And then I got to get some, some more proof as, as it went along. Um, but I didn't know her even until, until we talked, right? I had, to, I had to get to know her by talking to her. Um, and then, even with stuff in her past, like she told me she had braces, for instance. Well, how do I know that? She wasn't wearing them, right? She didn't keep her braces with her, you know, and, and show them to me. <laughs> I looked at her teeth and said, wow, that's a million dollar smile. Yes, you had braces. Someone paid for that smile. <laughs> um, and. And I used some analytical, that's, that's some analytical proof, right? Um, that she had braces. And that sufficed. Um, but most of her 20-year history before we met, even uh, what happens to her during the day now, when I'm at work and she's at work, like, I take on faith that that actually happened to her. And she takes on faith that when I come home and I say I had a good meeting or a bad meeting or I did this or that, like, that that actually happened. She has no experiential knowledge of it, except through me, except through someone telling her that that happened. She has no really analytical knowledge of it unless she sees a receipt from Starbucks or something where I bought two coffees um, or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, but so most of your relationships, think about whoever it is, your spouse, your girlfriend, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, most of your relationship is built on trust and faith not proof that those things actually happen. You're just trusting that person. Um, think about it this way. Okay. So, have you ever Facebook stalked somebody? <laughs> Don't raise your hands. You can put your hand down. Um, <laughs> Elaine's like, no. Uh, yes. Uh, like, even like before you met them or right after you met them, you Facebook stalk, maybe you do it even after that. Um, but Facebook stalk somebody where you, you saw like what their life was like, all that. Um, you can gather information, you can gather facts, you can gather data, you can look at what they like, you can even, maybe even observe habits, like you know, where people go, things like that. Um, but you can't really know that person. 
you can't know that person uh, by just looking at a Facebook page. Um, think about it this way. If you went to my Facebook page, um, you want to know certain things about me that, uh, that are crucial to who I am. You want to know that I grew up traveling the world. Uh, that's created me who I am. You want to know I'm half Thai. You want to know that I'm left-handed, um, therefore a genius. If you're left-handed, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, that's right. Oh, you're the exception. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, you wouldn't know like things that make me who I am. Even if you went to my Facebook page, you you might not even gather. I can't. I don't even know if I say I'm a pastor on there. Um, things like that. Um, but a lot of us do that. We think we know somebody through social media, through through Facebook, and we see what what people are doing. Um, you have all these Facebook friends that, um, you know, you think you have real relationships with people, but you don't. Um, the sad thing is, most of us are still Facebook stalking God. Most of our city is Facebook stalking God. You know, we, we look around in nature and we see good, we see evil, we see nature, we see how things work, um, and we say, that's enough for me to make a decision on who God is. That's enough to, for me to make a decision of faith. Um, and all it is is Facebook stalking. We're not really actually trying to get to know who God is. Now, the scriptures do say that we can know there is a God. Just like if you went to Facebook, you know there is me. Maybe. <laughs> um, but scriptures do say we can look at nature and say, oh, yes, there is a God. We can look at other things and say, yes, there has to be a God. But that's, all, that's as far as it takes us. We can't know God, okay? Now, think about it this way. Just like Facebook, your Facebook page isn't a person, um, you can't get to know someone until you get to know the person, right? Just like I got to know Missy when I spoke to her. When she spoke to me, that's when I knew who she was. That's when I started to understand so we can't know God until he speaks to us. Because in God's very essence, he's a person. He has emotion, intellect, will. He has attributes, holiness, goodness, justice, mercy, love. He is a person. And we can't know God unless he speaks to us or we speak to him. And that's what this book is, is God speaking to us. That's what Jesus is. That's who he is. He's the word of God made flesh come down to us to communicate who he is so that we would know him. So here's the thing. Because you Facebook stalk God, because everyone can do that. Everyone can look at nature, at how the world works, and we can Facebook stalk God. Uh, because we can do that, everyone has a certain measure of faith. Atheists, agnostic, Buddhist, uh, Muslim, Christian, Put whatever, whatever, your mom, your dad, your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister, your friends. Everyone has a certain measure of faith. Because we've been born in this world. Because remember, the first act of creation is the world. So we have this measure of faith where we can look and say, yes, there is a God that exists. Those who are atheists are just denying that faith. And those who haven't fully put it in Christ Jesus are still on their journey of faith, which is what we're going to talk about next. So we all have this beginning, this seed of faith in us. So let's talk about the journey of faith. Jesus, as the creator of the world, has put this seed in us and given us 
and uh, this this path to walk and and put us on this journey of faith uh, that he's already walked. So, um, in the journey of faith, I'm going to go through three things. Uh, there's promises, perfection, and perseverance. Okay, so the journey of faith has those three things. Let's walk through uh, Hebrews chapter 11. It's not going to be up on the screen. If you have a Bible, you can follow through, but I'm just going to go through it quickly. Hebrews 11 is, is just a kind of a chronicle of all of those who have put their faith in God. And he just highlights, the author highlights these, these people. He says, by faith, and there's, there's a formula here. He says, by faith, Abel offered to God. So you'll see this all the way through. By faith, so-and-so did this to God. Or by faith, God did this. So we have by faith and we have God. So by faith, Abel offered sacrifices. Um, by faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, they did this. By faith, Sarah believed uh, that she, she had the power to conceive. By faith, <coughs> when Abraham was tested, he offered up Isaac. By faith, Moses did these things. And there are all these spectacular, great works that these people did. And uh, it's, they did them by faith, and God worked in them and through them. And then you get to verse 32, which I think I have on, on the screen um, for you guys. And I'm going to read through this. So, yep, so let's follow along on the screen. And he says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, of Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of the weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. He just transitions there. Like, actually, he doesn't even transition. He's, he says, they stopped the mouths of lions, they quenched the power of fire, they were made strong in war, they put foreign armies to flight. Women received people back from the dead by resurrection, some were tortured. It's like this, really, if, if you're just reading this, you almost don't even notice. It just, you just keep on going. But it's just like subtle shift here some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. I love that, that they might rise again to a better life. He says, basically he's saying they've already died. They're rising for a second time. They've had a spiritual death. Now they're rising a second time after a physical death to a better life, a better life. And that's an amazing promise. He says, others suffered, verse 36, others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wow, what a powerful statement, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And then he finishes out with these two verses that aren't on the screen. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The outworking of faith here 
the author shows that it's actually really two extremes. It's these intensely um, magnificent, fantastic, incredibly awesome experiences, quenching the mouth of lions uh, or stopping the mouths of lions, quenching the power of fire, like these these awesome like hilltop experiences. And then the other side of it is these intensely horrible, horrific, um, you know, suffering, staying up under per, uh, persecution type experiences. And he says, this is what living by faith looks like. And this is what it looks like. He doesn't say, by faith, Stephen lived in a beautiful house with his family, and they lived comfortably. He didn't say, by faith, Erica received that job she always wanted, her dream job. He didn't say, by faith, God got you into a certain school program, or by faith that, um, you know, you make so many dollars a year. Or by faith, God put me in a room where I saw Missy for the first time and she became my spouse and 10 years later, we're planning a church in downtown Toronto. Those aren't the examples. All, the, all those examples I said are not, it's not that they're not examples of faith. It's just that the author of Hebrews is saying, faith looks like this or it looks like this. And living my faith has these extremes. Are you living by faith this morning? Does your life look like one of these? How comfortable is your life right now? How comfortable and easy was it for you to come in here in this nice auditorium in downtown Toronto and, and, and think you're living by faith? How comfortable is it when you go to work and have a great job and no job is, your job is stressful, work is stressful, there's people there you don't like, your boss is a jerk, whatever. Um, how comfortable is it for you to do that and then, and then go home? Like, we don't have any threat of being sawn in two. And we think, oh, it's great. Like, these people, uh, they stop the mouths of lions and they uh, quench the power of fire. They made foreign armies flee. Like, those are all great things. Like, I want to do that, we think. But do you think about, like, what put them in those situations? Like, what led up to that? I mean, if I, had, if I was put in a situation where I had to stop the mouth of a lion, probably depression led up to that, loneliness, anger, persecution, torture. A lot was probably leading up to that magnificent point in history, right? Where we saw God move. We look at, look at the life of Daniel. This is what happens. Uh, this is who the author is referring to, stopping the mouths of lions. A lot was in his life before that, loneliness, and everyone forsook him. He was the only one doing things, uh, obeying, living in obedience, and then he got thrown into the pit, and he saw God move. But you know what else accompanied that? Not just fear and loneliness and depression, anger, anxiety, but victory and triumph perseverance and joy and hope and an amazing God that they saw work. 
Faith is always forward-looking. All these examples here look forward. Faith doesn't say, I believe in myself. Faith isn't internal like that. Faith doesn't say, I believe in you, another person. It isn't mortal like that. Faith says, I believe in God. And I have faith in the one, as Sarah says in Hebrews 11, I'm the one, I have faith in the one who makes the promise. I don't have faith in the promise. I have faith in the one who makes the promise. And she says, I, I know that he is faithful. So faith and perseverance we see go hand in hand. Faith and perfection in the verse that I, I just read seem to go hand in hand as well. He says, we the church, so us as the body of Christ, we perfect those who are lacking in their faith, who came before us. He says they haven't received the promise. All these people before, all these Old Testament saints that he mentioned, they never received the promise, which is kind of contradictory because he actually just said a few verses above that, that they did obtain their promises. So what's going on there? Like, did he mess up? Like, what's, did he forget that he said they obtained promises? Now he's saying none of them obtained promises. They didn't see the promise fulfilled. Or do you think he's talking about something else? He says God provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Hebrews is all about Jesus. That's why we, we've been going through the book of Hebrews. Um, he talks about Jesus this, Jesus that. You see Jesus' name all the way through the book of Hebrews until you get to chapter 10, about halfway through chapter 10, through the entirety of chapter 11, we don't see the name of Jesus mentioned one time. So if you were to read Hebrews from chapter 1 to chapter 11, once you got there, you'd be like, hey, where's, where's Jesus? Where, where's the name of Jesus? Because he's mentioning it, all he's, all he's talking about is Jesus, 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 Jesus. And then you're like, wait, I don't see Jesus in here at all, his name. He just talks about, he, he mentions God over and over again in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, God, by faith, God. And so the author is like creating this like anticipation and expectation. And he's building, you can feel it building if you're just reading through Hebrews. You feel it building and he's, he's waiting to actually like hit us in the face with this answer. But he doesn't give it to us yet. He makes us go to chapter 12. And chapter 12 verses 1 and 2, uh, we're going to finish here. Um, he talks about perseverance. And it's, it's pretty awesome that he's like, he makes this build. He's like, build, 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 build. Like, where's the answer? And then he says, let's just persevere in faith. Faith is about perseverance. So it's like, he's saying persevere just a little longer. Uh, one more verse. And this is key for faith. Yes, faith is faith. We can have faith in the one who makes promises. Uh, we can have faith um, that those promises will be fulfilled. Um, we can have faith in saying that, yes, we're part of this larger picture. We're perfecting those who came before us. But oftentimes, our faith will stop at the promise or at the perfection part. Most of us don't take our journey of faith all the way through perseverance because we give up too quickly because you throw in the towel too soon and the author's saying no, no, no faith matures when you persevere in it he says here that 
we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And when he talks about this, the, the word implies like we're in the stadium. So picture that you're in the ACC um, Air Canada Center or you're in, uh, you're in um, the Sky Dome and you have people seated all around you. It's like this surround sound. And he's painting this picture like we have this great cloud of witnesses that has come before us and they're surrounding us and they're cheering us on. Uh, I played some sports growing up and... There's, and when you play sports in front of a crowd, there's nothing better than people like cheering you on. Like you really feed off of it. Like it's, I don't know, it's uh, spectators too. They're like, we can, like, we can do this. We use that language, eh, Isaac? Like, we're like, go Panthers. We got this. We got this. But we're like on the TV. We're not even in the stadium. We're like yelling at the TV. Like as a spectator, you feel like you have this ownership in those who are playing, right? And, and you feel that if you're playing on the field, you, you hear them cheering, and it makes you run faster. It makes you, it makes you hit harder or, um, you know, skate faster, all these things. But there's nothing worse than messing up on the field and being, like, hearing a gasp <laughs> or, like, a boo. Um, that's happened to me before. <laughs> Both of those. <laughs> and it just sucks the whole energy out of you before. And I remember growing up in Little League, um, Little League Baseball, I was playing center field for the first time. And I was in middle school, and I don't know why they put me in center. I was a runt of a kid. Um, so I didn't have the best arm, but I was quick. So that was why they put me in there. But I couldn't throw it all the way to the infield. So um, first ball that comes to me, and we played on dirt fields back then. We didn't have grass. So first of all, it comes to me. Um, I'm, I go down to get it, and it hits a rock and pops over me. And it's like going all the way to the fence. And it's not on grass. It's on dirt and rock, so it's super fast. Um, and I hear this, <sighs> this collective gasp, and the bases were loaded. So, of course, like, it's even worse. Um, and so running back to the, I have to go all the way back to the fence to get it. And I know in my, in my mind, like, <laughs> I can't throw it to the infield from all the way back there. <laughs> so I'm like, what do I do? Do I run this up to the infield? Because I know I'm fast. Like, I can run fast. Um, but I'll just like, so I ran a little bit and then I chunked it. And it landed halfway in between the infield and the outfield. And I was like, I had to run to go get it. <laughs> so I might as well just run it. And I hear this, like, this, like, moaning start going on. And, like, the game was over. I mean, we lost. It was bad. And it was my fault. So that's this picture we have here. I know. It's sad, right? Um, but I got taller, so. <laughs> I got taller and stronger. Um, so that's this picture we have here. What, why I painted both sides of it is because he says here, the key to this, because the spectators, they're, they're watching us, he says. There are witnesses but they can't reach their goal unless we reach our goal. And we have to persevere in that goal in order for them to reach that goal. So how do we do that? He says here that uh, we have to lay aside every weight. And weight is emphasized here um, in, in the, how the structure of the language is. 
He says, lay aside every weight, and he really puts an emphasis on it. And then he tells us what that weight is. He says, it's sin. It's sin that clings so closely to us. And what's amazing about this picture, as he says, uh, literally, if you were to translate this, this, uh, this, this word that says, it clings so closely, it would say, that which easily surrounds us. So basically, he's saying, we have this great cloud of witnesses that's cheering us on, pushing us forward. They have ownership in this. But when we let sin drag us down, it replaces those cheers with booze. We no longer have people cheering for our success. We have people wanting our demise. Sin. And sin takes those seats over in our stadium. And he says, lay that aside. Lay aside every weight, every sin which clings so closely to us. And then he says, run. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. And when he talks about this, this running, it's not this kind of euphemism for just uh, living a certain way of life. Like when the scriptures talk about walk by the Spirit or walk by faith, really it's talking about just live by the Spirit, live by faith, live your life that way. It's, it's living a certain pattern of life. When he says run here, it's actually, he actually means run. Like this isn't a, you know, you're not walking here. This isn't speed walking this is random, but in the Olympics, do you know they have power walking in the Olympics? Like, how random is that? Um, who said that's cool? <laughs> I might be able to enter in that one. Um, but it's not that. Uh, he says running, running with all your might, running with endurance. I, I for one, like, I, I hate to run. Um, actually, no, 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 let me rephrase that. I hate jogging. I love to run. Like, I love to... If there's, a, if there's a goal, like I hate jogging, like there's just no purpose, I feel like. You're just kind of going. Um, but if like you're running from first base to second base or all the way down the court to do a, a fast break layup or, you know, something like that, uh, that's different because there's a goal. There's something set before me, right? And that's what he says here. We're not just running a race aimlessly. We're not just running this, this marathon. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're actually have, we actually have this, this, I should say, eternal marathon. We actually have this goal at the end, that there's something set before us. Um, and he goes into that. He says, there's an end of faith. Faith isn't just something that we believe in and has no end. There's actually an end of faith. There's something that finishes our faith. And that's verse 2. He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There's something, he says, if Jesus is our goal, we need to do a couple things. And he just mentioned those. We need to take off every weight, lay, lay those aside. We need to strip ourselves of sin. And when he talks about that, it's like, it's like a jogger or a runner stripping himself of, of clothing. You know, like you want to go jogging with your big parka on and, and all that stuff. You would, you would take that stuff off. And, and he says, it's, this is like what it means to lay something aside. So whatever you're carrying with you, whatever sin, it's, 
not aer aerodynamic for your faith. It's dragging you back. It's making you more exhausted. Uh, you, it, it's a weight that's, that's bearing down on you. So I don't know what it is for you guys. Um, I don't know what that looks like in your life. What sin looks like. What that weight would be that's, that's bringing you back. It may just be doubt. It may be this, this doubt to your faith that's just nagging at it that you need to take care of. It um, may be anger, lust. It could be something that causes fear. Something that causes depression, something that causes anxiety. You know, you guys have to examine your heart and 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 what that is is it's detracting from your faith. It's it's pulling you back as you're trying to run this race. And he says we need to look to Jesus. Um, what's awesome about verse two here is it again if you're just reading through Hebrews and got to this point, you'd instantly be reminded of Hebrews chapter two where he says that Jesus is the founder of our salvation. Because he says here again, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. And the only other time he's used this in Hebrews is when he says Jesus is the founder of our salvation. And he perfected us, and he was perfected through suffering. So he says here that we need to look to Jesus. All else is put aside. We're just focused on Jesus. We're looking away from everything else. And he paints Jesus as this person of faith himself. That Jesus himself is this person of faith. He's the one who lived out perfect faith, perfect obedience. Under the most horrible circumstances. And what's amazing is, he paints people who have lived this extreme of faith and this extreme. And he says Jesus has done both in one act as one person. He's triumphed and been in the deepest, darkest moment in one act. And that's the act of the cross, he says. For he endured it, despising the shame. What's awesome about this, too, is when it says he endured it, literally the word paints this picture that Jesus remained under it. So he, like, held it up. And he endured it that way, he, by remaining under it. And then he says he despised the shame. This is the only time in the New Testament that this phrasing of shame is used in a positive sense with Jesus or God as a subject. What's awesome about that is even in this act, Jesus takes something that, uh, like shame and he redeems it. Something that's typically looked at as evil and he redeems shame for good. And he says, no, I shame the cross. I despised its shame. And I went through it, and I redeemed it for our sake. This actually makes, if Jesus has run the race, hey, you guys can go ahead and come up. Oh, my bad. <laughs> this actually makes the race not one that we're running alone. Have you ever had a jogging partner? We were talking about that this morning, right? Um, it's bad when your partner leaves you, but <laughs> if you're jogging next to each other, um, there's something about that. If you're cycling next to each other, something about that. Like, you guys are encouraging one another. This race isn't one we, we have to run alone. This is a race we get to run, one, in the body. Two, 
with Jesus, that he's already run it. Jesus starts it for us, he's finished it for us, and he's running it with us now because he started your race and he's going to finish it with you. And not only that, it's actually more like uh, a relay race. These, all these saints who have gone before, remember they're cheering us on, they're surrounding us, they've, they're cheering us on. And when we get to them, they've only made it to a certain point, these Old Testament saints. We're, we get to get there and then run it with them, all the way to the end where Jesus finishes it. And he goes on to say here in the last few verses, verses 3 and 4, which we didn't read, that Jesus endured the cross. He endured sinners. He endured hostility. So that we wouldn't grow weary. So that we wouldn't grow faint-hearted. And he reminds us, he says, in your struggle against sin, You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Matt and I were talking actually a couple weeks ago. Um, and he was just reminded of, of, the, of the song where we sing that Satan tempts me to despair. And he said, he just posed the question, have we ever been tempted to despair? Like, have we ever gotten to that point where we were so tempted and we endured it and stayed up under it for so long that we were, in fact, not tempted by the sin anymore, but that we were tempted to throw in the towel in, in despair? I looked at him and I said, I don't know. I don't think so. And we agreed that we give up way too easily. We give in way too soon. We haven't even come to the point where, as, as it says here, of shedding our blood. And this is a distinct allusion back to the garden where, where Jesus is praying before he, he goes to the cross. And he's sweating drops of blood because he's in such agony and despair because of the weight that is on him of what he has to do by faith. And the temptation is so like, palatable in that moment because he even asks God to take it away from him. He even says, is there any other way? Like that's, that's faith, that's, that's despair, that's temptation, like all that into one. Jesus showing us, like, this is the point to shedding of blood. And this is also, of course, in light of the cross where Jesus dies. And if we're reading this, of course, none of us have, have died for our faith yet. And maybe this morning, maybe this morning the journey of faith doesn't seem too appealing. Even as a Christian, even if you've been a Christian for a while, you read this and you hear what I just talked about in this passage and you're like, I don't even know if I want that. Like, that's not even appealing to me to live like that. I'm okay with just being comfortable and living my life, going to school and having my nice job and house or, or, or whatever you want in life. And I'm okay with just being like that and going to church. But that's not the picture of faith that is painted here. It isn't one of comfortability. 
It isn't one of uh, complacency. It's one where we're always running, where we're always pushing, where we're always persevering because there's something on us to persevere against. It's never comfortable. And that's why I prayed this morning that, God, we would never be comfortable in your presence because we should always feel uncomfortable in it because we should always feel an awe and a glory that makes us feel like there is something more we should be doing with our lives. There is something more than this service here. There's something more than being a doctor, being a teacher, working in the business world. That God's given you that for something more. Remember, faith is always forward-looking. And he says here that even though they knew they were going to suffer, they also knew that they were going to enter joy. They also knew that they were going to rise again to a better life. So remember, wherever you are this morning, Jesus is not just the finisher of faith. He's the author of it. That you have a certain measure of faith that you get to act on. Just by living in this world, just by being his creation, just by being created in his image, you have a certain measure of faith that you get to act on. And eventually, your journey of faith is going to bring you to a point of decision where you can make a decision about who this God is. But it's also the point of death. It's death to yourself, maybe death to your dreams, it's death to your sin, maybe death to unhealthy desires. But it's also being risen again to a better life, a new life, an abundant life in Christ Jesus.